are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. This is the first of two mixtapes that features new music from the Adjective Composers Collective. I was first able to catch up with Jen Jolly and talk about her piece, Last Stage to Red Rock. If you've been a listener to the show from the very beginning, this is the piece we talked about in your original podcast, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. I do Yeah, believe... so this... This was um, a piece for grade one band, yes. right? Yes, uh-huh. And you've, when we talked at that point, I think you were writing it or finishing it or something like that? Or maybe it was next? Was was I freaking out about it? Like, how much was I, I freaking so. out about it? Okay. I, I think, like, uh, you, you had some story about talking to Stephen Bryant about... Um, about yeah, I have to write a grade one band piece, and was it Stephen Bryant or Jonathan Newman? It was Stephen Bryant. I mean, Jonathan Newman was also at the table. All right, um, okay. And it was Stephen Bryant with a straight face, like I don't know how to do it. Good luck. Yeah, I'm like I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah. I'm so screwed. But right, yeah. <laughs> but let's. Uh, so for this, you had some pretty strict, um, ri- like pretty hardcore restrictions for what you could do for grade one band. So what were those again? Yes. Yeah, so I fortunately wrote this down in a blog post. So I'll tell you them point by point. Number one, the performance duration cannot be longer than two minutes and 30 seconds. Bam. I know. I think I went to three minutes though. I'm not a hundred percent sure. It's been a while and I should probably it's like, listen to my it's like own two forty eight. Yes. It's, it's about. there. I figured, you know, well, if they rushed, which was very much a possibility, it could be two right. minutes and thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason was that not only are they sixth graders and they only have so much of an attention span, but their faces will hurt. Like they're not used yeah. to their embouchures, you know, buzzing their lips or putting them in a specific position in that they can play longer than that. They just don't have the stamina. They just don't have that power. Right, yeah. And uh, I had very specific ranges, and I don't have those in front of me, but you're thinking about probably an octave at best. Right. So, and did it have, it had to be in, were you only given one key that you could use? Oh, I had two keys. So um, my keys, I know, fancy, which I'm actually, maybe, maybe three keys, but I was told I should write in B flat or E flat major. So if I wanted to get fancy, I uh-huh. could write in G minor, which is what I decided to do in right. my piece, yes. or C minor. Uh huh. But I could use modes. So it's like if they if they use the appropriate flats, so two or three flats. But I had a different modal like pitch center. That would have been okay. It probably would have thrown them, but it uh-huh. would have been okay. And rhythmically, I remember it being like. Quarter notes, half notes, and no syncopation, right? Yes. You could use eighth notes, which is what I use in my piece. So, But you couldn't have, yes, yeah, syncopation. You couldn't have isolated eighth notes. So you couldn't just be like eighth note and just have them just right. come in. Also, also, I remembered that I couldn't use triplets. 
That was uh-huh. certainly verboten. Although funny story with the triplets. So I come and I visit them for the first time and, you know, I see them in rehearsal or at least the first rehearsal for my piece and, you know, they're putting it together. And what's amazing about Mason uh, Middle School Band is that there are so many kids in this band program, which is pretty amazing to begin with but second of all because there's so many kids you can't put them all in the same classroom at the same time so Uh on Tuesdays and Thursdays I believe that was Wednesday like the winds come in and um Wednesday Friday the brass come in and then they have five or six periods of like a whole bunch of wind kids and a whole bunch of brass kids so they're not even rehearsing together until the dress rehearsal which is kind of amazing so anyway I'm at you know 8 a.m crack of dawn according to me um you know seeing these kids i'm like i'm gonna be cheery i'm gonna coffee it up i'm not gonna you know fall asleep but i'm actually kind of excited for this because i'm like i actually completed this band piece and so they're in rehearsal and there were two pieces they were going to rehearse that day in front of me one was my band piece and the other was a grade one arrangement of star wars right because how can you not have star wars and you know, I'm looking at their music and I see ba 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 ba. I'm like, dude, those are triplets. <laughs> what what just happened? Like, I was, I felt like I was robbed. Seriously, like triplets. <laughs> and I think like I commented, I think I commented on my like, I posted a picture of like the program on Facebook. I remember John Mackey was like, dude, those are triplets. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling right. you, like, what <laughs> happened? So the funny story is Micah Ewing who. Um, asked me to write a piece for them and got the commission program going, I said, hey, Micah, dude, there are triplets. Like, what the hell? Like, I, I'm like, <laughs> already it's so restrictive. He's like, here's the deal. Um, and he pretty much said that the original grade one arrangement of Star Wars didn't have triplets. It was bum, 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 bum. I'm like, right? He's like, but the kids are playing the triplets anyway because that's what they yeah. hear. Yeah, uh, of course. I mean, that's so, so iconic that, you know, you can't, they probably didn't even need the music at a certain point, you know? Right. Or at least like look at it once, get the get the notes in your fingers and then just like, okay, I got this. Yeah, so he just gave up and succumbed. At the same time though, you can't guarantee triplets for the second theme. At all. He's like, no, they, they ruined that. <laughs> like, they stuck to playing eighth notes in the second part. <laughs> but, do you, for Star Wars, so do yep. you mean the uh, the Darth Ma- the bum, 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 ticka da ticka da dum No, I mean, I think ba bum, bum, ba da da dum, ba da da dum, ba da da I couldn't do that. Oh, that they one. Could okay. Couldn't, couldn't hang with that. All right. No, nope. or enough. maybe, maybe they, so they ultimately, like, yeah. ultimately, it was good that you didn't write triplets. True. Unless, unless you were just quoting Star Wars in your piece. <laughs> I should just do that, I think. But you know what? John Williams is still alive. Mad respect to the guy. I don't want him suing my ass. So we're cool. <laughs> Mad respect, Jay Willie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, let's see. <laughs> Sorry. So... You when uh, so we've kind of like we we heard you at the beginning of this process and now we're hearing you at the end. So what was it like, you know, having all of these restrictions on on this piece? You know, like how did that 
how did that kind of kickstart creativity or damper creativity? You know, I actually had more fun writing this piece than I thought because I was like, oh my goodness, I don't get triplets. Oh my goodness, I'm restricted. And then I realized that as a former pianist, I suck at rhythm and can't really think <laughs> of complicated rhythm whatsoever. So this is kind of like, wait, I have to suck at rhythm. Shucks. <laughs> and, and furthermore, the thing is like, this this type of project is kind of like a minimalist dream because kids follow repetition. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And if they do it in packs, and if I'm given a whole bunch of eighth notes and I'm encouraged to repeat things, I just have to keep in mind that they need to breathe on occasion because they play wind <laughs> instruments. <laughs> Um, what does the, what does the title mean or where does it come from? So, and, 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 and you, you will probably laugh at this. So I'm a huge Quentin Tarantino fan and nice, I yes. just saw the hateful eight. I was like, I need to come up with a cool title. This is more of a piece of abstract music because I'm like, <laughs> must follow ABA must be in common time, must use eighth notes. Right. right. Um, and also follow a specific tempo. Like it can't go too fast and it can't go too slow. Yeah. Like it has to be moderate tempo. And so I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with the title, um, which used to plague me. I don't know when I was in grad school, but now I got pretty good with titles. But then I was like, I really don't know what this piece is about. I just, you know, saw a Gamelon Ensemble at the New Music Gathering, and I'm like, oh my goodness, all they're doing is playing a whole bunch of eighth notes and repeating things. Right. And I could totally use that. That would be a great compositional tool, uh, but I don't know what the title is whatsoever at all. And so I'm watching The Hateful Eight, um, loving the film score, loving the movie and there are specifically eight chapters in the hateful right yeah. and the first chapter is last stage to red rock can i just say that using a title from the hateful eight for a sixth grade band piece <laughs> that's amazing well okay. they don't know and I of course mean, they don't know so what did you tell him? Did you have to explain it? Well, no, I didn't because they they oh. were like, last stage to Red Rock. They're like, oh, what's stage? And I said, well, actually, I did say I was watching a movie and I was watching a Western because <laughs> that's a Western. So it could have been Blazing Saddles. It could have been Another very Blazing... inappropriate yes, movie. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, but but I said, look, this, this is the beginning of the film and there are these characters in a stagecoach, and they're trying to outrun a storm that's coming. <laughs> and they're like, oh, and they're that's, like, I that can is hear the it. sixth grade. That's like the sixth grade summary of Hateful Eight. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's, that's exactly it. And I, admittedly, I was like, ooh, I want to, you know, why not make a whole set of sixth grade or, or grade one beginning band pieces with each of the chapters but uh -huh. um the problem is and i'm trying to look up the names of the chapters but i think the last chapter is called black man white hell and i'm like ooh, i i don't know yeah everything else not gonna play in sixth grade <laughs> is kind of cool um but except for the very very last one which i'm like you know if i end up writing um the whole set 
and I actually have it filed on my computer of the Hateful Eight as <laughs> like a potential for beginning band series. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to do, I really want to do, I will figure out a way to explain chapter eight. Um, yeah. But no, like one of the chapters is like Mimi's Haberdashery. I think that was the name yeah. of the character. Um, you know, just really cute, like compact titles, but I really like, I really like Quentin Tarantino. I really like these Westerns and you know, I put the piece in G minor. Um, I think I had a kid call it, why does it sound so evil? I think that was one of the questions in the Q&A session that we had. But, uh, sorry, it's Minnie's Haberdashery. There we go, Minnie's Haberdashery. But, Minnie's Haberdashery, um, right. Yeah, I mean, that that's how I explained it to the kids. It's a Western, there are cowboys. It's bleak. It's going to snow really hard really soon. <laughs> they got <laughs> to get to Red Rock. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that, that's kind of a cool idea. Like not, not as, I mean, I think you should definitely do the whole set based on, based on the Hateful Eight. But also like that's, that would be kind of a cool writing project to take these like horribly inappropriate movies and do sixth grade <laughs> summaries you know <laughs> you know they're they're these characters and they're out running a storm and it's gonna snow a lot like and we don't know who the again. bad guy is and we're yeah. trying to figure out you know with this blizzard who the bad guy is like i wonder like do a sixth grade summary for all the tarantino movies you know oh man <laughs> <laughs> like you know, there's this woman and she is just trying to get in touch with a lot of people from her past and, <laughs> you know, solve some kind of conflict. Okay, okay. So I actually, a long time ago, was asked to write a cello and piano piece for this couple approached me. It was through um, through CCM. I was like, yeah, I'll write a piece for your son. And I was like, this got it. This has to be pretty badass. I think that's kind of the idea. It's like I have to impress these middle schoolers, which we realize, like, why? Like, right. they're middle schoolers, <laughs> right? Like, and I'm thinking, like, why am I, why am I trying so hard? You know, because sometimes middle schoolers could be mean. Although, like, this group was nice, and I think in general, like, all kids are nice. But it's middle school. Let's just yeah. be clear. So this kid, I think he was in eighth grade. I'm like, okay, what do eighth graders like, or maybe sixth grade? I don't know. But the long story short of it is since you're referring to Kill Bill and Kill Bill, you know, yeah. Kill Bill 1 and 2, that um, there's the crazy 88. And yep. I like the idea of ninjas. And, like, it's I was writing it for a boy. So the name of the title was 88 Exploding Ninjas. And that's oh in reference <laughs> to the Kill that's Bill That's an series. amazing title. Oh, my God. That's awesome. So I guess we can look forward to more uh hateful eight band pieces in the future yes sounds like yes if there are any band directors who want a beginning band piece i will tell you the titles of at least the next six again number eight's gonna be a little tricky we will right. figure it out it could be our little secret maybe the alternate title of, of chapter eight but uh yeah i i that's kind of what i'm coming up with so yeah that was a good movie i um, love that movie like yeah I mean, I there isn't a Tarantino movie that I don't love. Thank so. you. This is why we're friends. Seriously. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to hear a recording of Mason Middle School. And was this from the performance or was this a rehearsal recording? 
This was from the performance, and bless the kid's cool. heart, they actually didn't play during the rest because I had to be stern with them <laughs> and be like, you do not play there because I didn't write any <laughs> notes for you. <laughs> you play exactly what I, I said you play. <laughs> I said, why did, why did you play notes there? Oh, I said, I didn't write anything. <laughs> They were they were revising yes, for you. They were trying to make it. They they were real time composing over my music. <laughs> <laughs> Next, I spoke with Adjective co-owner Andrew Martin-Smith to talk about a new piece for clarinet and bassoon. And if we seem extra giggly, it's because when we recorded this, we had just finished recording the Sebastian Fagerlund Over Drinks podcast with Andrew's wife, Jamie. If you haven't heard that yet, just just go back and listen to it. It's, it's just pure joy. So we're going to talk about your piece, Shadow Play. And this... This piece was just reading from the notes and and the score you sent me. This was an anniversary present for your wife. Yes, yes, it was. That's really sweet. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it is. I, I don't know. So let's kind of dig into the piece and we'll find out if it, if it was sweet or not. But 
I think when I was listening to it, even even though I I had already read that it was meant as an anniversary present for your wife, even if I didn't know that, I think I would still feel like there were some very like tender moments in the piece in terms of like kind of uh quote unquote cadential moments. You know, you you hit some kind of nice intervals at cadence points and and kind of the way that the the grace notes kind of play out in the piece. So can you talk about that a little? Um sure, yeah, there's a the overall the overall sound of it that you're talking about, especially these cadential moments being very tender. Um I yeah, I can I can sort of see that as playing to the sweet aspect of a relationship. The idea here, since it is an anniversary present, was sort of to give um, some kind of musical voice to our relationship, if that makes some sense. Uh-huh. And uh, most obviously, of course, is just dealing with the timbres of the instruments, Um I mean, obviously, I chose to write this for clarinet and bassoon, and I'm a clarinetist, and my wife Jamie is a bassoonist. So clearly, there's, there's some some obvious reference there. That was um, not lost on me. <laughs> oh no, I imagine it wasn't. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of the sweetness or the play of intervals or the cadential material that you're talking about, a lot of it. I don't want to say a lot of it is inconsequential or occurs uh, just by happenstance. But all of the pitch material here is Stravinsky. Right. So I read that too. So explain Mm -hmm. that. So essentially what I did um, was I took the first of Stravinsky's three pieces for clarinet alone. Uh, The very, you know, the slow moody one, right? In the Shalomo register. Um, It's, Honestly, out of the three of them, it is my personal favorite. Uh, I know two and three get very, very exciting. Um, I loved playing three as an undergraduate, but there was something about playing the first piece that was just so satisfying to me as a musician. Um, And it's interesting that you bring up that idea of tenderness, because I think it is, in a lot of ways, incredibly tender. Yeah. So from beginning to end, quite literally, I took the sequence of Stravinsky's pitch material as a a row, if you will. Uh And so this material happens, uh, I think, around three times, maybe three and a half times uh, through the course of the composition. So it it is that sequence of pitch classes, I should say. Uh, It's not specific to frequency and register. Um, but those pitch classes are the pitch classes that unfold. And it essentially happens in canon. Um, the bassoon and the clarinet are both playing that pitch stream, but at different time intervals. Or I should say it's kind of, well, not kind of, it, it really is um, an isorhythmic motet in a lot of ways, where we have this stream of pitch content and a shorter stream of rhythmic information. And so you get a lot of uh, this this interplay between the two different streams of rhythm and pitch that land you on these moments of synchronicity or cadential sounding areas that I exploited. That's really that's really interesting. I, I isorhythms have kind of 
captivated me for I mean for a long time when I you know when we when I learned about them in history one at Bowling Green <laughs> State University was what the, oh, what was his name that professor um, that okay he might have retired perhaps um oh it wasn't Stephen Cornelius or was it uh wait steve cornelius isn't he like an ethno guy yeah yeah so probably no. not no it wasn't steve cornelius Uh-oh. I, it's it's gone i well. think i i'm i think i might be able to see his face is i'm gonna remember at some really inopportune moment and then shout it yeah, out he as was, if i have to he was he was <laughs> he was you know short and kind of pudgy and bald I know exactly who you're thinking about, and it's yeah. so it's terrible that I cannot remember his name because oh. uh, I love studying for my comprehensive exams with him. He uh, he had a class for us, oh, ba- yeah. basically a, a wonderful romp through the grout, and it was delightful. <laughs> well, he I I took uh, honors honors music history one with him which basically meant i went to the class and then all of us that were taking the honors class we met separately with him to like look at original uh well not original but like look at source material and um and you know look at notation and you know kind of do extra little projects with him it was a very interesting class but i think when i learned about isorhythms i was really taken by that and that in in so many ways has come back in the 20th century with a vengeance you know oh yeah when you think when you think about serialism i mean isorhythm in a way was the first like that like these ideas have been around for a long long time and i'm i think i'm always trying to find ways where rhythm in particular is not controlled by my intuition Mm. you know Mm. okay like it it really i mean you think about uh like it's either rhythm or form so you think about composers like john cage or zanakis or 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 these people where their their music just feels different it sounds different because time is not controlled by a human brain Mm. Yeah. In that case, I mean, I, I mean, like, it is ultimately controlled by a human brain because the brain is making the decision to use this thing, this other time stream, I guess. Yes. But it just makes it, it, it gives it a different feeling, and I and I always find that that the pieces I gravitate towards more frequently are those where time is it doesn't it doesn't feel like what humans write time as you know no i I think i understand what you're saying um i'm gonna put a pin in that though because i'm gonna i'm gonna say you do two words vince corrigan yeah that was right all right (laughs) nice job i have i have been paying attention to you i swear but my brain has been working in the background algorithmically (laughs) nice (laughs) methodically going through (laughs) yeah that was his name all right yeah um yeah, no, it's interesting that you brought up the idea that you you are fascinated by taking rhythm off your plate. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of what I'm fascinated by is taking pitch off of my plate. 
Uh-huh. I want to make the rhythmic and formal and structural delineations, but I don't I don't care. I don't want to come up with the pitches myself. <laughs> no, I'm that way too. <laughs> I just I say as more I talk about it, it just sounds like I don't want to be a composer. <laughs> I just want I, I just want someone else to do that. I want so, I, I want something else to control that. Uh, dynamics, we can just read a, read a program to give me the, all that stuff. I, what I really love doing is coming up with the ideas, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's that's a problem because I get stuck in the idea phase for so long. And then when it comes to the nitty gritty, like, let's write out the notes, uh, you know, it just that's, that's frustrating. I'm trying to get away from that. I'm trying to get back into the, like, craft of, you know, sitting down and, and getting – getting away from the ideas but rather working with the material more yeah um it is it is a chore isn't it it's almost secretarial in that aspect of the the compositional craft the art right of of putting down all of these ideas into a form that other people can interpret right yeah that's sometimes it can be mind-numbingly tedious yes um especially (laughs) for for composers that have spent a long time in the creative idea realm. And then uh, I can't, I can't claim that I've had this experience maybe at all, if not, you know, certainly not that often. Um, But, you know, having a solid idea of what the piece does in its entirety from beginning to end, I'm not saying like a moment of spontaneous cognition. I'm saying you've sat with the piece and you've thought about it and you've worked it out and you've done all these mental gymnastics, thinking about the ideas and you finally put it together. And then it's that realization, Oh crap. Now I need to make sure other people know what it is that's in my head right now. Yeah. But I've, I've just spent so much time exhausting over it. The idea of putting it out there is tiring. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I don't necessarily think you're alone. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I'm alone either. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's tedious and exhausting Mm -hmm. at the same time. Yep. So anyway, back to your piece. Um, it's... Hey, tedious and exhausting. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I did not mean for that. Um, but I will say that it is quite reserved. True. And is this uh, is this like marking an occasion of the anniversary, or is it reflective of the relationship that it's about, or is that too much? No, I don't necessarily think it's too much, but I, I also think it goes to this notion of of shadow play, of this this yeah. idea that, um, well, I don't know, is there, do you have an opportunity to see shadow plays in China? Is is there is that even a, a realization? Is there somewhere near you that does them? I have seen one. Okay. Um, it was kind of like a, a like a little street. Uh, you know, just uh, kind of like a cart almost. Oh, okay. You know, and, you know, you pay a couple R&B and he, the guy like goes behind his cart, you know, puts the thing over his head and then starts, you know, doing all the stuff. And uh, it was, you know, it, it, it's short, obviously. I mean, it's it's only meant to make you stand in front of it for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've, I've, I've seen at least one of them. Yeah, that's I, the, hearing you talk about it. It's like, oh, this is perfect. It it uh, it 
it um, affirms for me the idea initially that I had in my mind about what this piece is. And, and the idea that it's supposed to only make you stand in front of it. It's only supposed to captivate you for a couple minutes. Uh-huh. This, this piece is only, what, four minutes long max? Yeah. And, and um, I think, it, I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it doesn't do things over that time, but it really only does one type of music. From uh-huh. beginning to end, it's this contrapuntal um, conversation-like atmosphere for four minutes, and and right. I felt that that's probably as long as I can do one type of music. I, like I was stretching it to the maximum of what I would feel com- my threshold of boredom, if you will, um, yeah. and. This notion of a shadow play, literally, you're just, it's the, these two-dimensional figures, right? That you're seeing, you are not seeing a full realization of anything. And when you look at people's relationships, you only get to see, you know, what it is you can see, the facade of it all. You don't really right. know what's going on in the background. Um, and so I, I liked, I liked that aspect. So yes, if Uh it seems reserved, it should. Um, but there's also a lot of stuff I think going on in different layers of the piece that hint at the, the depth of what that relationship might be. A little bit of a puzzle there for our listeners. Yeah. Well, there is a, there is a moment where I think it seems like, uh, one of the instrumentalists, um, becomes slightly more agitated. Yeah, and, I got that. And maybe maybe pulls away from the texture, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and uh which one was that? Andrew? I I I don't want to spoil it for anyone. I also <laughs> I also don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that, we'll go ahead and listen to it. Who is is it you and your wife playing it or is someone else? Interestingly enough, um, Jamie and I have not had an opportunity to perform this live. We're, we're probably, we might get the chance this spring, actually, on a faculty composer's concert here at Fredonia. Uh-huh. Uh, but the recording that we're going to listen to um, is Doug Monroe uh, and Michael Harley. Um, and the two of them um, were teaching with me at Interlochen a couple of years ago and uh, happened to, you know, we all were in the right place at the right time to make this particular recording happen. And I couldn't be happier with what they what they've done.
Before we go on, I'd just like to say thank you for listening and supporting Adjective New Music and the composers in the Adjective Composers Collective. If you like what you hear, go on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Tell a friend about us. And you can follow us on Twitter at ADJ New Music. All that stuff really helps. And next, we're going to hear a brand new piece by Jamie Lee Sampson called Strife. I was able to catch up with Jamie actually before she had even heard her own piece because it was premiered at my university, Suzhou University in China. Let's talk about Strife. Let's talk about Strife. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know giggle that fits. you <laughs> no more giggle fest. <laughs> I hope. Oh, um. So you know you've heard this live and and recorded it. I, I've heard it twice live. You've heard it twice live, and you still haven't heard it. I haven't. <laughs> and this is this is a, the um, it is a wonderful kind of odd for me uh, to have not heard it, and other people have. Um, yeah. And especially because these performances were at like, you know, 730 in the morning here. And I was like, oh, yep. I had a premiere this morning before <laughs> I woke up. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's been it's been wonderful and surreal. And it also coincided with um, but the first time two of my pieces were performed, not on the same concert, but on the same day. Mm -hmm. So not a recital where it was like a bunch of my music and I was trying to right get a piece of paper that said I was qualified to leave a school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was the first one of those. So this piece is, is really important to me, but at the same time, very odd. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Like I, I once had, I had like a week of October where I had one performance each day in, oh uh, <laughs> in like different parts of the world. I mean, it, it had a lot to do with the fact that um, I, I had a, this uh, duo that was um, touring uh, a piece of mine, a saxophone and percussion piece. They were touring oh, yeah. it around around Spain, so it like they they had a performance each night. So that was like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of mm -hmm. the week. But then like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I had like other stuff here and there. It was <laughs> it was it was awesome. But, yeah, like, really strange. Um, so I'm assuming this is your first premiere in china it is it is okay. it's not my first international premiere but it is my okay. first premiere in china yes awesome the piece is related to uh one of your other pieces i mean actually this this is like you know you were the first of the lexical tones <laughs> podcast and on yeah. that people should go back and revisit that because you know the sound isn't as good <laughs> and we we didn't really yeah. know what we were doing yet and all that, all that stuff but regardless yeah. of that we talked about one of your pieces crossed yeah on that podcast and strife is related to crossed i believe it's actually going to be related to a series these are going to be i like i keep calling it a daisy chain series of duos uh -huh. so the first one was two soprano saxophones um and, and it was two soprano saxophones because the duo that commissioned it was going to Scotland and they needed small instruments. <laughs> right. And that's crossed. And that's crossed. Yeah. And yeah. then now Strife was commissioned 
as a result of Crossed. Um, in fact, uh-huh. I don't think anybody knows this story, not even the guys who commissioned it. But um, when I got the request for this commission, Andrew and I were on a 10-day camping trip with my family in an RV at the Grand Canyon. Wow. Okay. And, uh, and Crossed was up on Composer Circle. And, uh, and I was like trying to promote like crazy in the middle of nowhere. Right. I'm, right. I am running around one of the campsites. I can't remember which one with an iPad pointed at the sky, trying to find <laughs> 3G signal so that I can post about it. And then of course I get this email from, from Don Paul Call and, uh, Tyler Austin, who were the two that commissioned this piece and, uh, and asking me for a duo for them. Um, and they were they were really um, inspired by Crossed, and they wanted to do this. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if I could daisy chain this so that the first one was for two saxophones of some type. Second one is for saxophone and bassoon. Third one is for two bassoons. Fourth one is for bassoon and some other instrument. And that other instrument then gets a two... Uh, it's going to be percussion in this case. It's going to be bassoon and percussion, and then a percussion oh, duo. Okay. Um, and this can, you know, basically stretch out for as long as I, I have words written by Shakespeare that are full of angst <laughs> and and uh, and sassiness. So, all right. So you you just <laughs> mentioned the the way you're composing this. So yeah, you you talked about it with cross, but how does it relate to strife? So basically, you're taking each letter. Each of letter. a word of a word from that's used in is this also from Romeo and Juliet? This one is, and this one is also okay. from the prologue to Romeo and Juliet. Uh, when I get okay. to the bassoon duo, I'm I'm starting to move away from that. The bassoon duo, uh, which I think is going to be commissionless, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> um, is going to be called Toil. Um, okay. But these two, Strife and Crossed, are both from the prologue of Romeo and Juliet. And it is based on not just the shape, but the sound of each letter. So there's a lot of sustained high sibilancy noises, you know, when you get the S sound. Um, The T gets a lot of stuttering and and short chopped notes. Uh, R gets a growlier sound. Um, I... I can't quite remember what I did for I. It's been a little while since I wrote this. It's actually and it's, you haven't heard it, so I, and I haven't heard the line. Yeah, um, yeah. This actually was written about four years ago. Um, it was finished in 2013. It is now 2017. Um, I wrote it for Don Paul and Tyler, and unfortunately, I had to take a little bit longer to write it, and that brought us right up to the time where Don Paul left to study in Paris. Ah, okay. And he has since been in Paris for a couple of years and now is in Belgium and they've been unable to premiere it. And last year I finally got to the point where I was like, hey guys, do you, would you mind if I just, I, I left your name on everything, but can I please get this premiered? Right. <laughs> and they were completely gracious about it. And, um, and you know, their, their name has been on everything I've put out about it. But, uh, but yeah, they're, <laughs> I haven't been in the same country long enough to do it. So. Right. So yeah, um, so it's been a long time coming for this premiere. Cool. Well, uh, we just, uh, let's see, when was it? It was just a couple days ago. We were in the recording studio. I actually didn't listen to their session. I basically set up 
all the mics <laughs> and got the got the uh, levels sounding okay for a recording. And then I was like, "Hey guys, I got a lot of work to do. Okay, thanks, bye." <laughs> um, <laughs> the fact that this was premiered in China got this piece so much attention that none really? of my none of my other pieces have had. I have people fighting over the U.S. premiere. Wow. Hey. Yeah. All right. No one has heard it, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> and so there are three different groups right now that are looking at dates, and I don't even know who's going to get the U.S. premiere. But this is the fastest turnaround on, on a second performance I've had, and it's not even just going to be a second performance. It's going to be second, third, and fourth within a month of each other. Then I was able to sit down with the performers who premiered the work at Suzhou University and made the recording you're about to hear. We've got Dr. Aaron Pergram in here and Dr. Johnny Salinas. And for only the second time in the history of podcasts, I'm actually looking at the people I'm interviewing for once sitting across the room for me. So that's kind of exciting. So thanks for thanks for being on this, guys. Mm, thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. So what I, what I wanted to talk with you guys about is that you uh, premiered the work in China. You uh, had a little bit of contact with Jamie, but more than anything, you guys were just uh, like like the good old days, you know, getting a score and interpreting it. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what was one part about this piece that was maybe uh, maybe challenging, you know, for, for you guys to either to put together or challenging individually? Well, actually, there's a lot of information that Jamie gives us. Um, she has quite a demanding score in, as far as using extended techniques, um, a lot of different articulation things, uh, which is kind of common in wind music anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe beyond all of that, because it's kind of easy to master that if you just practice a lot. Um, but what was more difficult for me was the fact that the, the tempos, there was a lot of kind of slow and soft playing, mm, okay. which, which um, you know, if you do a studio recording or whatnot, is maybe one one challenge, you know, but you can take takes. But if you're doing a live performance, it's very, very difficult. I mean, I found it difficult because, you know, I'm a bassoon teacher and I teach bassoon all day and I'm playing all day. Yeah, I suppose I didn't mention who, who plays what in the room, but we, we found it. Yeah, we found it. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, you teach all day, you have a couple rehearsals or whatever you're playing, and then you go to this concert in the evening, you know, and then it's like by the time you hit the stage, you're already kind of... Burnt. Yeah, and then you have to kind of really give um, all you have. Yeah. The score is quite demanding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's fun, but it's it's challenging. Yeah, I thought for me it was uh, interesting because I have never done uh, played with bassoon before, so it was good to learn I mean, is about. There, is there a repertoire? Out there, there, well, there is. There yeah. is, but I had, personally I have never um, collaborated with such a fine bassoonist or any bassoonist for that matter. Um, Johnny Lausch. Love Johnny. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for me, it was interesting to learn, you know, what the bassoon can and cannot do and vice versa, you know, uh, learning what the saxophone can and can't do. Because there's a lot of the way it's written, there's some things that are, it's very difficult for both instruments. Mm -hmm. um, so it was challenging and, and um, but, you know, I thought I learned a lot from, Dr. Program. No, I also uh, learned a lot from this piece in the same regard because, um, you know, as I think about what we did, uh, I'm really glad it was alto because I believe had it been for another one, well, maybe, I don't know about soprano, but I mean, 
the, I'm thinking Tenor and Barry and these kinds of things. It would have been so much of the overlapping, right? Uh, yeah. you know, registers that would have been really difficult. You know, for me, the saxophone is such a brilliant and bright uh, instrument, uh, or has that ability due to its brass nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think bassoonists in general work pretty hard on projection. Mm-hmm. You know, we we can be a relatively soft instrument. Yeah. Um, so that was balancing. But I think we did a great job. And, of course, credit to, to Jamie, too. Her scoring is pretty, right. pretty, pretty sensitive. Was there a part in this piece that was particularly striking to you? That you like you either you really enjoyed playing, or you you really enjoyed like listening back to it again. For me, there was a couple. There was two sections I really thought think I loved. Um, one was this kind of it was at section S. Um, I really liked how the counterpoint worked. It mm. kind of almost had this like hocketed feel. Um, it reminds me of like something maybe Jolivet would have written or one uh-huh. of these kind of um, French guys. But it's it's got a great sense of, like, uh, dialogue, but, like, a busyness, kind of an energetic type right, of dialogue yeah. I really loved. Um, and then it... And that's, con- like, that's towards the end of the piece? No, that's in towards the front yeah. of the piece. Oh, okay. Um, oh, you mean s- section S, S as, as in, in, like, as in Strife? S from mm-hmm. Strife. Or, okay, okay. And then... <laughs> S, S for Strife. S, S, S for Samson. <laughs> and then there's this other kind of really beautiful section at R. Um, R doesn't stand for Samson. I think it stands for Rob. I like this uh, R section a lot as well because it ha- it was so sl- it's so slow, um, and it's just like this kind of melding of different timbres and different uh, kind of extended techniques that. Maybe the saxophone starts and then the bassoon kind of blends in and the saxophone stops. And it's just a really beautiful change of colors. And the bassoon's very low in this register. Um, The sax is too, but, you know, kind of extreme register for me. And that was really fun, beautiful, beautiful moment. And I remember the first time that Johnny and I read the piece, that was the first thing we remarked was that section is quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I can just add on to that, you sure. know, as, as far as ours. Um, <clears throat> the the moments we said it sounded like uh, the Goodbye Julina. Yeah, at some point it did. Yeah, uh, and I have played that piece, uh, that piece obviously originally for two bassoons, and the saxophonists love playing that on with two baritones, so I thought it was nice. I felt like I was, uh, you know, playing that piece with with you. Uh, so it was, it was a good good feeling. I, I love I love Gubadilina's uh, music in many ways, but part of it is that I don't like is that maybe it's always somehow noir. It's always somehow dark. I mean, I guess maybe that's kind of cool part of mm-hmm. it. But um, this piece has some of those characteristics, but also has some great energy. Yeah. Uh, um, frequent listeners to the podcast and frequent listeners of Jamie know that she's very interested in multiphonics. She actually, you know, of course, she wrote a book on it. Fantastic book. Yeah. So you you and I worked on you worked through that book when I was writing a piece that was going to use bassoon multiphonics and again you you got another chance to work on it. So I'm just like as a bassoonist, how does that how how does it help you kind of find those sounds? Yeah, I I have to say that the the bassoonist such I mean all the instruments are really complex of course. Um but when it comes to extended techniques, especially multiphonics, you know, the, the bassoon has a special challenge, I think. Um, you know, 
for example, you have three, three people with all great instruments, the same fingering won't work for all necessarily for all yeah. of them. Maybe it will have a similar sound or characteristic, but um, you know, it's we got a lot of a lot of tubing to, <laughs> to and a lot of keys to be manipulating. Um, this book helped because you know a lot of the books that were written were specific to the the to the French bassoon or the French system, the buffet system, or they were uh, maybe outdated or maybe they work for one model or another. This book is great because it talks very much in depth about uh, finding universality and in, in, in using these multiphonics. Um, for me, uh, Jamie taught me how to use the book, uh, look through it, and then it was just super simple. Yeah, I didn't have to memorize a whole complex schematic of fingerings and such. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, very smart um, and very effective. And the other thing is, you know, just like with all instruments, not everything works on every instrument. Right. But you get many options. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty comprehensive in, in that way. So, um what else? Any uh any little funny funny tidbits from rehearsing? Nope. All right, there it is. Well, we do we have funny stories? Hmm. We had a lot of like not funny stories. <laughs> we had a <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We I have th- a we have a lot of strife. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it's it's a great it's a great piece. Um, I was going to say that uh, it seems like anybody who's affiliated at all with Bowling Green likes yeah. to write for saxophone or mm-hmm. or you know just because it, that that school is known for such great contemporary saxophone music. Yeah, and I mean Stamp and obviously. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I I can see I guess influences. You know, through performance and 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 whatnot, of wanting to write for the saxophone, just by just by being associated, yeah, you know, with the school. Well, some of some of what I saw, Jane, unprofessional. I thought I turned unprofessional. <laughs> All right, we get it. <laughs> Maybe I should. Oh, I have no idea what this is for. That's me. a phone. It's for communicating. I know, but if someone's calling me, that's not a number. It could be <coughs> my wife ordered Sherpas and they're calling or something. Well, answer it. <coughs> Hello? Uh, Kwai D. Yeah, so. they have a delivery. Is there someone at home? Uh, Yeah. What did Yoren. You, Yoren. Yeah. Yoren. Yoren. At home. Yoren. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So now they're going to deliver your quite Hopefully someone's home. No, I think, I think, um. That's what Yoren means. Yoren. Yo, has people. Yes. Yoren. Yoren. Okay. He says, Yomi Yoren. This has been your Chinese weekly lesson Chinese lesson. Number one. <laughs> Yomi Yoren. <laughs> 如果你说有人的话,就是在家里有人。uh, what was I saying? I have no idea. Have, where are we doing? <laughs> okay, now you now she has. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh no, I don't think there's a sorry here. Yeah. No. So guys, you know, thank you. I mean, I I feel a a, a tiny bit of responsibility, you know, for this piece, just because uh, Jamie and I talked about it a long time ago, and and she was like, "Well, do you think I'd be interested in playing it?" <laughs> and I was like. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and 
you know, and I mean, you guys were so gracious to to just take this project on, um, not only to to premiere it, to play it on my concert, but also to record it. And that is the recording that we're about to hear. So we've got Dr. Johnny Salinas on saxophone and Dr. Aaron Pergram on bassoon, and we're listening to Strife. <laughs> Thank you. 
And for our last work, Andrew Martin Smith and I flipped the script and Andrew stepped into the host role as he interviewed me about my new piece for Chinese instruments. So you wanted to talk about the edge of still, right? Correct. Which is a piece that you wrote in 2016. Mm-hmm. And now, now remind me when the premiere was. The premiere was in uh, June of 2016. So, um, so- In Taiwan. Yes. And, and so were you working on this piece, um, like in the end of 2015 and was it complete in 2016 or was this like all done like concept and everything in the, the beginning? I it see that done, smile. <laughs> it was done pretty much, uh, March to May with a premiere March to in May. June. <laughs> Very <laughs> like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my, my former teacher, Shihui Chen, uh, mm-hmm. I was at I was at ICMC um, in Dallas in or well in um, the city that North Texas is in. What, why am I blanking on this? I mean, it, North. It's you know North Texas University. Right, right. 
I got nothing at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell am I blanking? Uh, Denton. 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 That's, that's, that's right. It. It, it's another one of the D's. So yeah, yeah. You're, you're in Denton, right? <laughs> right. So I'm in Denton and uh, Timothy Roy, who uh, was on, you know, a uh, couple, you know, a few, some weeks ago at this point, um, mm-hmm. he, w- he and I were uh, rooming together. And um, he's, I mean, he's now the, uh, the electro like TA at Rice. So it was just like, it was really easy. And I knew, known him from before anyway. So he kind of told me that, oh, Shihui has this kind of, this project with, uh, with this Chinese, um, Chinese chamber orchestra, all the, Mm. the majority of the instruments are all Chinese. They do add percussion and they do add cello. Um, but you know, the, the other instruments are all Chinese. She's got this project because they came, she brought that orchestra to rice, uh, the year before, I think. And she was trying to do that again, but you know, there was just like, there was no money to do it this time around. So she decided, Oh, well, why don't I take composers to Taiwan to work with, to work with the ensemble? And he was kind of telling me about this. And like 20 minutes later, I got a call from, well, I got, I got a text is like, I need to talk to you. And this is, this is always Shihui. She's like, I need to call you. You need to call me right now. You know, it's like, so, so I called her and she, she said, you know, we're doing this thing. Um, it's going to be Kurt, her husband, and all, another one of my former teachers, uh, Kurt Stallman, uh, herself, and two current uh, Rice doctoral students, Shane Mons and Timothy Roy, and then two former doctoral students so myself Mm. and then christopher walzak who was also on the podcast and he was when he was on the podcast he was over in china because we were doing we were going heading to taiwan like the next day or something i see okay so anyway this is in september when she when she says you know we're gonna do this what do you want to write for and then i at the time uh i had some pretty major projects going on like i Mm -hmm. had uh, my piece uh, "Drift" that was done with Lydia Hance down in Houston, which was right. this you know major string quartet. I had the um, uh, the intimacy of creativity thing come up in December, which was like, "Hey, completely revise your orchestra piece in two weeks and and send it to us like now, 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 now," you know, and and some other stuff that was going on. So uh, with with a June um, premiere date, I was like, well. I could, you know, I could kind of put this off a little bit, maybe. You're giving yourself creative space. <laughs> yeah, if that's if that's, that's what we want to call it. That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> sure. Um, and so the the ensemble is the little giant uh, Chinese chamber orchestra, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, and little so it, little giant is um, it's kind of this. Uh, I mean, it's it's really what it really is is it's one guy, and uh, he's the conductor of the ensemble, okay. and then uh, so the he's always like grabbing the, you know like the hot young players of of Chinese instruments. Kind of, it's almost I, I got the sense that it's almost like a training ground because mm. because these players you know they're they're in Little Giant for a while and then they just go out and get you know, a, a like with a bigger orchestra or, or, you know, a teaching job or something like that. So interesting. Yeah. And they're, they're doing both, um, 
traditional Chinese music, and then also they commission a lot of new music for Chinese instruments. Um, well, the instruments that you did, that you did write for, I mean, the the uh, ditsa is um, essentially a bamboo flute, correct? Correct. Yeah, and it's it's kind of um, it's pitched. It, it they have many different ditsas. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like a uh, natural horn in that way. Ah. Uh, except the you know with natural horn you can use a crook. In this you just need a, a completely separate you instrument. Pull out a different flute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they have dietzes in uh, not all keys, but a lot of a lot of keys. Um, I use two different dietzes. Mm. Uh, mine, I used a high one. Uh, uh well, a, a higher dietze. Mm-hmm. And it was in basically the key of E major. Yeah, I'm not surprised. E E seemed rather predominant in your piece. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And then the I used the biggest uh, dita, which is in the key of um, uh, G major, I believe. Is okay. it G or D? I know the lowest note is D, but I think it's the key of G major. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think the uh, sheng, right, is the yep. other instrument, and uh, mm-hmm. that I just find to be incredibly fascinating. I mean, not that the deets is not fascinating, but uh, the sound of the sheng is quite <laughs> intriguing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you, if anyone has heard uh, the Japanese instrument, the shou, they're very mm. similar, um, the, with the main difference be the sheng has kind of a more it's a it's it's a like a rougher sound to it mm. whereas the show is kind of more pure um so basically the shung is a collection of uh double reed pipes and you have a single mouthpiece and basically um you your fingers kind of surround it and you hold it up to your mouth and each each pipe has you know a a hole if you cover it, then you're engaging the um, the pipe, and so you can. I think technically you can play maybe up to ten notes. I mean, obviously you have <laughs> ten fingers, um, but it just depends on like which notes you choose. Because right. yeah, if you if you like if you choose all the right notes, then you can use all your fingers. But I don't think I ever went up more than like five or six notes at a time. Um, what you talk about in terms of wanting to to utilize sounds that what what is it what did you say uh produced with minimal effort or action i think is is a a direct thing you say right well and that's that's mostly referring to um the electronic sounds that i recorded so i um i basically like so it came around to be march and i didn't have an idea (laughs) and i didn't have an idea and again, I didn't have an idea for this piece, um, especially the electronics. I was like, uh, you know, I don't I, I was I was kind of burnt from uh, doing a couple pieces that were really, really electronic heavy. And I just kind of wanted to do something. Uh, I mean, it was maybe because of my, you know, I was feeling the deadline, but I was just like, mm. it's pretty much going to be fixed media. There aren't going to be a lot of live electronics on this piece. Still in Max, but, you know, um, triggered. Uh, triggered so triggered Max, playback. Just fixed media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, you know, I had been doing a lot of things that were based on live electronics. I had kind of gotten out of the, the habit of just going into the studio and creating sound. So 
I was uh, as you do, well as I do. I fidget a lot when I'm <laughs> when I'm at home with a lot of stuff, just creating sound and driving my wife crazy. Um, so I was playing with I think one of Violet's uh, big uh, Duplo, the Duplo b- blocks, the big Legos. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. and and I was like. I was kind of pushing my thumbnail against the plastic and it was making this like really cool sound, but it was very quiet. So that was kind of one of the first, um, one of the first sounds I had going in. Like if I can record this, like I, I'd been, I'd been also kind of experimenting with contact mics at the time. So it was like, you know, I just want to try to capture some, some different types of sounds that you wouldn't normally normally here another sound that is this factors pretty heavily in the piece is i had my guitar at the uh, at the studio at school and I, like i had broken a couple strings it was just it was just kind of sitting there derelict and um <laughs> i like <laughs> i um i like that image by the way it's really it's really yeah. like a ghost ship yeah it's just like- <laughs> right <laughs> um i took the lowest the e string and I like loosened it so much to the point where if I just kind of left it there and then I just kind of touched the tuning peg, the string would fall off the neck and then rattle against the side of the uh, the neck and the body of the guitar. And mm. it was creating these like really, really cool rattles, um, like almost like ricochets, I guess. You mm. know, you kind of think about... You think about the doorstop in an old house where you sit there and you're like, you know, that my cats love that. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was that sound factored heavily into it. And then, you know, once I got these first couple of sounds, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to go into the studio with a bunch of different microphones and a bunch of different stuff. And I'm just going to record and I see, see what I get. And I spent the better part of a day in in the studio at school just just experimenting and just making making sound and that was a good feeling because it felt like I was getting back to something that I hadn't done in a while you know just just experimenting with no thought of what it would become mm. even though I knew it would become I knew it would become this piece um so a lot of the like little punctuated electronic sounds that you hear in the piece are just combinations of mm. uh, of those different sounds. So, the guitar. I did a lot of different stuff with guitar. I did. I brought my ukulele in, and I had a I had a violin bow, and I I would like bowed the edge of the ukulele like <laughs> in a kind of ricochet manner. Yeah, and bowed bowed the strings, and you know just made all kinds of different sounds. I had uh, like wire brushes that you'd use on drum set, and I just kind of kind of like uh, it's not. Well, some were scraping, but some was just kind of like, it's hard to describe, but it's like just needling them mm. into the uh, wood of the ukulele and all all done using, you know, uh, either, either just a standard uh, condenser mic or a lot done with... Um, with contact mics and then they're like a uh, deck of cards the legos uh just plastic um plastic zip ties that i'm just kind of crunching and so it was just like i just want to get in the studio and kind of have fun making sound again and that's kind of where this whole thing came from but everything is just you you don't need to do a lot to make the sound you know that's where that kind of minimal effort comes from it's like basically every sound was created not with big motions, but with just like 
just barely moving, you know? Yeah, that's that's really fascinating, actually. And and I guess there are there are a number of questions that that come to mind. And uh, I apologize ahead of time, because I'm probably going to forget most of them. So maybe they'll like, <laughs> pop up at, at random times now. Um, I'm such a horrible interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I asked you to do this. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good call, Rob. Um, the uh, the the notion here is that you have a lot of sounds that you're talking about that are very, I mean, generally quite quiet. And you're talking about using yep. things like contact mics and, and and different things. It almost reminds me of um, uh, photography or uh, uh, photography students who often get assignments to you know go out into the world and take a picture of something from a vantage point that would not normally be you know how a human being would perceive this. And yeah. a lot of what you're talking about kind of reminds me a little of that. And and mm-hmm. I know recently you've been doing a lot in the kind of the visual art medium world, yeah. bringing that into composition, and so. Uh, I, I'm, I may be overthinking this, but it seems that the concept that you're talking about here is, is indicative and maybe relates to all this visual kind of art and, and, and perceiving things in different ways that you, you might not necessarily have a chance to uh, in, a, uh, in a daily basis, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that was kind of one thing I was thinking about. It's just like these sounds are around us all the time. And especially around me, because I'm always like, I'm always just doing something that, that makes sound. And like I said, it drives my wife crazy. Like I actually wrote my very first tape piece, uh, was called failing to resist because Hmm. it's like my, I can't resist just fidgeting and, and just, uh, and just constantly being annoying really, I guess. Um, so it was, it was like, it was a desire to, to, you know, do something with hmm. with the stuff i guess i guess that's like that's where a lot of my electronic music comes from the the desire to just like do something with stuff i hear a lot mm. so like i wrote uh, i wrote a tape piece called lingering garden and it was basically just because i mean a i had you know i was writing it for uh for um for dance but b it was just like i have all these singing bowls I need hmm. to do something with them. Like I have to, I have to justify purchasing this. You exactly. Know, in, in some way, I guess. So this is me just like justifying annoying my wife, I guess. Uh, what, what is that? Uh, what is that cartoon? Uh, it, it has just recently been tax season. Uh, who knows when this is going to get aired eventually, but it, it probably won't be tax season at that time, but it was just recently tax season. And um, uh, you know, you have that, comic with the person on stage with a microphone and like a snowblower or something. And it's like, well, I got to prove that this is a, this is a tax write off for a musician. So here's this this piece that I justified making this purchase for. Um, That's great. And by the way, I don't think you have the market cornered on, on annoying a significant other or spouse. Uh, you, 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 uh, you bring up fidgeting here and, you know, Jamie, Jamie, and I think, uh, have you gotten a, a fidget cube? in in recent history or, or yeah yes i do yeah, yep. yeah. oh so I much do. fun <laughs> i know it's great i actually i'm i'm a little sad because it's already packed you know oh, it's already no. like i had to pack up my basically my entire office and get it out of here so it's packed so i'm just like i'm i'm making do yeah you know? with all of the other random items that you have around yeah you. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so cool yeah you know i think um a couple things. Hopefully, you'll take both as as complimentary, uh, and that's with an I, not an E. 
complimentary. Well, we'll, um, well, we'll see. But maybe uh, the the piece sounds very uh, well integrated. Mm. The the electronics and the instruments really do like sometimes it's it's difficult to exactly tell what's starting what's happening here what's making that sound um in in some cases it's very very clear and and in others it's this nice kind of interlocking or or interlaced uh texture which i which i find personally and aesthetically lovely um and the other thing is i'm you know, I wasn't exactly sure going into this interview. I was like, I wonder if the electronics is interacting um, because of the way you set it up. The triggering is not necessarily obvious. It's like one of those things where this could go either way. They could be triggering mm-hmm. things or there could be some some interaction. So well done to you, I think. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. Basically, there are 55 or so different short sound files. Okay. Um, that I'm triggering, and I'm doing that. So I'm kind of like a third member. So of you the are ensemble. a third. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to be like right on with them. You know, there's there's a lot of eye contact. There's a lot of head nodding. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the very first time we did it in Taiwan, we were in this big hall, and they wanted to put us to the back of the hall, and I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I can't, I'm sorry, I, I cannot do that. I like there is like a one second delay between right. me, you know. And um, the next, so we did it there, and then I did it uh, here in Suzhou uh, with a Sheng player from uh, the Shanghai Conservatory, and then my colleague uh, Clara Novakova, and we turned it into a flute, a flute part, not mm-hmm. a dita part. And then I was just like ten feet in front of them. And the last time I went to Taiwan, and I was actually on stage with them. And like each time I'm getting like closer and closer to them just because it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. that you have to, you ha- you really have to be right on them. You have to give them cues. Like there are, so in terms of the interactive nature of mm-hmm. it, it's not really very interactive. Um, right. I, I, there's, there's a little bit of delay. There's a little bit of reverb. Um, there's a point where I record a note from the Dietza and then that gets into a buffer and, Mm -hmm. you know, through different envelope shaping that kind of comes back and kind of, it sounds like it's been reversed, but it really hasn't. Um, and that's, that's about it. Like there's, there's not much like the patch itself is kind of big, but it's really only big because of the performance considerations that I wanted to take, knowing that this would be something where you need a lot of visual feedback on the patch. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that makes the patch big. Other than that, it's just like reverb, delay, SF play, and buffer, and that's it. Not, you know, uh, economy of means. I like it. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me a little bit of... Um, Michael Keane has a piece for uh, 12 saxophones and electronics. I, I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with this piece, but it's... Um, it's uh, the uh, French title translates to object shadow, basically. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, this idea that you have the 12 saxophones, but you also have the uh, a more or less fixed electronic media that's triggered in, in similar ways to right. uh, to yours. And so yeah. I... Uh, he um, he asked me to run that uh, electronic part uh, for a couple performances. You know, one was a run out performance at a local college that was relatively close to Bowling Green, Ohio, and then uh, mm-hmm. a couple performances at BG. And funny enough, some of the BG ones, depending upon the setup, I was like, 
you know, we, we had it running from a CD at one point in time. And so I was like pushing like play oh, yeah. and like advancing tracks and yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. But, but yeah, no, the, the max patch that he, that he built was certainly easier than that. <laughs> for, for some oh things. my God. I can't, I cannot imagine that. It's like, <laughs> it's, in terms of timing, using a CD player, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and that you I know, suppose that, that's what you had to do. Like you yeah. had to just push play on a tape player back in the day, you know. Yeah, and and true, and obviously, I mean that that's not like his that wasn't his default go to uh, mode right. of performing the piece. But in in some of the circumstances that we were in, it's like okay, I guess this is the because he always brings redundant media, right? He's like, well, mm-hmm. I suppose uh, you know. Knowing him, he would bring a you know some kind of old computer to run some like older older software. To, like a, he has, he just, has a just in case, tape or right? Something. Just in case. Um, but uh, but no, you know, the, the electronics in your piece seemed um, seemed well integrated, and the fact that, it, that you're telling me it wasn't uh, uh, interactive is mm-hmm. uh, is I, I think kudos to you for for doing something that does sound so unified thanks man yeah it's 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 been kind of a cool piece like i you know when you write something for it's like you know just non-standard orchestral instruments or something you know you kind of you kind of worry about what is the future of this right right because you know uh you could pr- i mean i'm sure there are ditza players and shung players in other countries but you can probably count them on all the digits you have, Yeah, you know? So, so it's like, what is going to become of this? And, you know, it, I've actually had, you know, pretty good fortune of, uh, little giant has, they've done it twice in Taiwan. I've done it once here. And then they were just on a tour in April, uh, of different places in the United States. So they went to rice they went to UC Santa Cruz. They went to Southern Illinois University because that's where Christopher Walzak is. Mm-hmm. And they've they've played it a couple times. They recorded it. It's going to come out on a disc uh, on uh, Albany. Nice. You know, probably later, sometime later this year. So I actually have to I have to edit the recording um, pretty soon here. But um, <laughs> speaking of deadlines, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So I mean, uh, Chisheng Chen, he's the conductor and kind of the 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 man behind uh, little giant he's just been fantastic and he he really is that way with uh, with a lot of composers you know I know I I have known several other composers who uh, either American or otherwise who have written for for that ensemble and they just you know they they're developing a mm-hmm. a, a repertoire um, for for these instruments and uh, they're really serious about it so they've been great. That's so, uh, go that's little so fantastic. Giant. Yeah, right. Uh, that that is so fantastic. And actually, I think um, I'm right now. I'm well. I'm finishing because, as as we said, this is the end of the semester for me. Middle of the semester ish yeah. for you. Um, and uh, I'm wrapping up a course, a survey course on contemporary music ensembles. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it it's been an eight week course, uh, and you know I just have this gigantic list, you know A to Z right. of of contemporary music ensembles, uh, both uh, current and kind of historical, to get a uh-huh. survey of of how these 
you know, you know, what is the literature that they commissioned and kind of championed? Uh, who are the composers that they kind of brought to the forefront uh, in in contemporary culture? What was the effect that these ensembles had on their their community and and maybe the greater musical community? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm definitely adding this ensemble to the list because cool. of everything. That sounds like a cool class. About. Um, you know, it's like, like all of our teachers, it's like, I, I kind of wish, you know, I had a class like this when I was going through school. And so that was one sure. of the things and like, I really, I just want to do a, a, a survey of all these contemporary music ensembles to get these names, you know, out there and known to the students a little sooner than maybe just having them stumble across them through like a news feed or, or something like right. that. It's like, this is yeah. an actual thing that we, we study. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I'm kind of stealing the idea from Christopher Dietz because uh, when uh, he was interviewing for the BGSU position that he, that he now occupies, that was, yeah. I think, part of the part of the test that all the candidates were run uh, uh, put through the ringer on was like, you're going to do a lecture on contemporary music ensembles. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly he did a good job. He did. He did a really good job and was highly influential. <laughs> awesome. So, so I think it's about time that we give this piece of yours a listen then, Rob. Uh, so yeah. could you tell us who, uh, who we're going to be listening to? Yes. Uh, we're going to, obviously, this is the Little Giant Chinese Chamber Orchestra, and this was the premier performance at the National Theater and Concert Hall Auditorium in Taipei, Taiwan. And uh, the players are Yu Shimei and Shen Shenling.
Thanks for listening. You just heard new music from Jennifer Jolly, Andrew Martin-Smith, Jamie Lee Sampson, and myself, Robert McClure. We are all members of the Adjective New Music Composers Collective. To find out more information about our music, listen to our previous podcasts, or purchase our scores, please visit adjectivenewmusic.com.